0: Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Welcome to the ABCA's mini series, Father and Son. In this series, we cover the coach player and parent child relationship through the eyes of the coach and their sons who played for them. This is a truly unique relationship, and this mini-series should be of value to any coach, parent, or player. Thanks for tuning in, and please enjoy Father and Son. Next on Father and Son, we sit down with Mitch and Derek Hannis and also discuss Mitch's youngest son, Caleb. Mitch enters his seventh season at the helm of the Indiana State baseball program after returning to his alma mater in 2013. Coach Hannis is the, an Indiana State Hall of Famer. He's led the program to six of their 10 NCAA tournament appearances as a player, assistant coach, or head coach. Coach Hannis also has experience at the junior college level coaching at Lincoln Trail. He also had roles as athletic director and president at Lincoln Trail. Derek started his collegiate career at Ohio State, took a redshirt year at Indiana State in 2012 and played for Mitch in 2014 and 2015. Caleb is finishing his senior year in high school at West Vigo and plans to play for Brian Schmack at Valparaiso in the fall. Welcome to Father and Son. Here with Mitch and Derek Hannis, and appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, Mitch and I go way back. Uh, he was an assistant at Indiana State when I was playing at Evansville, and I do feel like he's one of my mentors. Uh, he he's really shaped my worldview on what coaching actually is. So I appreciate you guys coming on today. Appreciate
1: you having us, Ryan.
0: Derek, and this is a unique story. Um, can you just talk a little bit about you go to Ohio State your freshman year, um, then you transfer back to Indiana State, and Coach Heller's uh, co- coaching the program, and then he leaves to go to Iowa, and then your dad comes in as the head coach. Can you both just talk about that whole process?
2: Uh, yeah, I know when I was growing up, he always had a rule that, um, whether he was at Lincoln Trail at that time or another school, that that I would never be allowed to play for him. Um, so I went to Ohio State my freshman year. Um, I actually transferred to ISU at Indiana State my sophomore year at Christmas break. Um, sat out a year. They had a really good year that year. I went to the Oregon Regional. Then I got to play the following year. And I think this is pretty unique that probably a lot of the guys that you're you're talking to don't have this scenario. And then I got to to play a year before he got here. Um, And and halfway through the year, I kind of secured a a starting role and actually led the team in batting average. So um, when he actually was hired, I fortunately was already established at the program.
0: And Mitch, you and I had talked, um, you know, you're at Lincoln trail at the time and you're probably gonna get the job. And then you and I had talked a little bit about, um, going and coaching Derek and, you know, just from my perspective, it, it worked out great for my brother and I. So again, talk about your perspective on that.
1: Well, when, when Derek had, had left, um, I, I, pretty much got into administration at that point. I kind of, I, I tried to get the Indiana State job a couple times and wasn't successful. And I kind of thought to myself, it was time to, to move on. So I went into administration um, with no thought of staying in coaching at that point. And Rick took the job, Rick Keller took the job at Iowa, which opened Indiana State up again, which was probably the third time in about, I don't know, eight years. Does that sound right? Yes. Yeah. So I I went ahead and thought, you know what? I'm going to throw my hat in there one more time. If it works, it works. If not, so be it. It wasn't meant to be. And then when I got the call that um, I got the job, I said, I need to check with one person before I accept. <laughs> so that's that's when I let Derek know that it was a possibility and how would he feel if I were to come and take the job? Was he okay with it? And of course, I, I think he was fine. At least he said he was fine with it, uh, and that's kind of how it all came to be. And and so and then and then the so the first year I I didn't feel like I was walking into a situation where I had recruited my son there. He was established in the program, and I was the new guy.
0: Mitch, and you went through it as an assistant. And um, I, I said in the intro that you know six of the ten regional appearances you've been a part of at Indiana State either as a player, an assistant, or a head coach. You know and you kind of went through it with with Coach Warren there in a little bit, and then what did you take away from from that situation that that helped you with coaching Derek?
1: Well, I, I think the thing that you take away from that is, and you and I have talked about this in years past, Ryan. Every every young person is is different. Their personality is different. Their mentality is different. Even if they grow up in the same home, they're just different people. And, and I and I really believe that. For some, with the right personality, it, it works. Um, and for others, it's tougher. I'm not going to say that it doesn't work, but it, it can become a lot tougher. And so as I looked at my sons as years went by, um, I did feel like Derek was more able to handle it because he, he was the quiet one and didn't say a whole lot, uh, didn't question me much on coaching points now Caleb on the other hand is not afraid to question my philosophy so he and I are like oil and water sometimes when it comes to the coaching part so uh, I'm gonna let somebody else deal with him
0: and I'll get into that here in a little bit Derek and I saw you that that first year that your dad was back we played you guys when I was at Western Illinois and you tore us up and I'm in the dugout and I actually um obviously I wasn't liking the fact that you guys were tearing us up and every time you came up, you drove somebody in with two outs, but in the back of my mind, like I, I liked the fact that there's a coach's kid up there. Uh, you know, I understand the pressures that you go through as a coach's kid and, you know, yeah, I didn't like the fact that you're giving it to us, but there's some gratification I think for all coaches kids, when you see a coach's son do well at at the division one level and, um, you just came across that way and I did like watching you play uh, just because you you know you pull for the guys that were in your situation that are are battling and, and playing for their dads. Can you guys talk about how you guys handled the player coach and father son relationship?
2: Um, I don't think we tried not to pay much attention to it. Um, I know I didn't really you know if I needed to say something to him in practice I didn't call him coach I didn't call him dad. Actually changed my contact in my phone. I was around my teammates, and he called me. I didn't want dad popping up on my screen, so I changed it to Coach Hannis, and it's still that way on my phone. So every time he calls me, it pops up as Coach Hannis. But um, just trying to not pay attention to that that situation. Is how I felt we kind of handled it.
0: Is that the same for you, Mitch?
2: Yeah,
1: it it, it is. I, I think you know you go back
0: to to
1: you and Tim both played for your dad. Um, Coach Warren's sons were here. You know, going in, I had an idea of how hard it is for you guys because nobody sees the away from the field stuff. Nobody sees the years that your dad has been on your rear end. Um, the your personal advisor that advises you everything that you've done wrong on a consistent basis. So for most guys that played for their dad, it's far worse away from the team than most teammates would ever know. And so I think with that in mind, you, you, you really try to separate and back off a little bit um, and really pull back that dad piece because I, I can tell you I'm a lot more patient with other people's kids than I am my own. Um, so for me, it was a matter of really pulling myself and detaching a little bit. Um, so that I didn't get after him and in, in front of the group, maybe like I would behind closed doors once in a while. So, and I think that's what a lot of people be able to realize. I, and I think Caleb, kind of seeing that through the years, how hard I was on Derek maybe away from things, decided that really wasn't for him moving forward. But there's there's a piece of that that's that's really tough, and you have to detach, and it's it's not always easy to do, and I, and I didn't always accomplish it. Um, But it it does come with the territory for you guys.
0: And Derek, my brother and I were the same way. He was always Coach Brownlee. And I did interview my dad. He'll be the last one that comes out. But he said that how he handled it is he always just viewed us as players. He didn't view us as sons uh, while we were going through the experience of playing for him. Mitch, talk about how gratifying it is to be back at Indiana State. Uh you had a great career there as a, a player, great career as an assistant. And talk about how gratifying it is to be back at your alma mater and you are a Hall of Famer. So just talk about all of that.
1: I, I think it's just nice to be back in familiar territory. I think for a lot of us it's I wouldn't call it a homecoming. It's almost like when you step back in you 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 really weren't gone. Um it's been really fun to to lead this program. Um it's also been enjoyable to to do it in the valley, which you know we all have a lot of respect for those coaches that have gone through the valley for years and and built this thing up. So for me, for me, just the chance to compete in the valley, you know, the blue collar, hard nosed league that it that it is. It's it's just something that you, you really can't explain to a lot of people, but for you guys that have played in it. And know it and know the competition, but yet the camaraderie at the end of the day that you have with other coaches and players in this league, it's that's that's what's fun to me. That's what's been the most gratifying.
0: And did that factor into Caleb's decision to go to Valpo because it was in the Missouri Valley?
1: Yeah, I, I think for I think as as you get older you you get smarter. Um, I think the other part of Caleb is obviously uh wanting to get into engineering and uh, Valpo's Engineering School and the fact that it is in the Valley um, did factor in. Absolutely.
0: Derek, what about growing up around it? Do you feel like helped you as a player and, and now helping you in the insurance world?
1: You had to go there.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Um, I don't know. I would just say the, the baseball piece and um, student athlete piece with having to be able to manage time. Um, and still, you know, get your schoolwork done, still get your, your practice in, um, get stuff in on the road. Cause a big part of being an insurance agent, you know, it's, it's complete flexibility of schedule. So if you're not self-disciplined, it, it can really, really bite you in the butt. So I think a lot of the, the disciplines I learned from baseball and my coaches, uh, really helped me in my career.
0: Mitch, talk about your experience coaching, then, and how it helped you being an athletic director and then president of Lincoln Trail. I, you might be the only baseball coach in the history of of coaching that can say they were president of a university. Can you just talk about all of that experience as well?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think first of all, it, you know, the coaching piece that we're we're talking about and the things that we're hitting on today with coaching your your kids, your sons, your daughters on your own team. You know, one thing through all of this that you, you learn is that you we all think we have these ideas and these philosophies and these principles that when we're 25 are going to hold true for life and why aren't people doing it this way? And I think a lot of what I've learned from are the failures, the, the things that I made mistakes on and improved moving forward. And you know, whether it was coaching fourth grade youth basketball or coaching um some youth baseball in Robinson when we were over there. You know, there was a lot to learn, and I, and I learned the most about people and kids moving forward. And I think as I spent time there and became entrenched in the, in the community, um, that's really what led to the momentum of moving into administration, was kind of staying in the area. But moving into administration was extremely difficult. Um, I had no idea how hard that would be and what a learning curve that would be. Um, for me. Um, And I have, just like you're talking about having great respect for sons who have played for their dads, knowing what they've gone through. Um, I have great respect for administrators, uh, especially in the times that we're in now and knowing what they're going through and and the tough decisions that have to be made. So I think for me, it was just a a journey that took off. And I I can't tell you that I planned it to go any particular direction, but it just seemed like it went that way. and through it all, the, the the learning curve, you know, I've continued to learn even even now. I mean, there are some days I come home and wonder if I know a daggone thing about hitting anymore. Um, but but for me, it was just a it was just that quest that you take off on and you don't know where you're going to end up, but it seems like the right thing at the right time to do. And it was a very humbling experience, I will tell you, working in the administrative world.
0: Mitch, what were some of the adjustments you had to make from going from coaching to, to then to the administrative side? What were some of the un- adjustments? And you talked about maybe some of the failures, and I don't like talking about failure. I think it's just like, it's all part of the learning process. But Absolutely. What, what were some Absolutely. of the adjustments that you had to make?
1: Well, I think in coaching, when you're coaching eighteen to twenty-one year olds, it's it's easy to be the alpha dog, right? It's easy to be the guy that's that's running the show. And when you walk into administration. Obviously, you have people that aren't in that 18 to 21 bracket. You have several people that are quite a a few years older than you with a lot of experience. So when you have when you walk in and you have a lot to learn, you initially begin with no answers. You know, you spend your life with an answer from an experience that you've had that you can shoot back at a, a young baseball player. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a world where you have no experience and you don't have the answer. At the tip of your tongue so that was really hard it was really hard to to kind of work and learn and get to a point that you could give answers quickly and decisive uh, in that setting uh, and it was also hard to sit in an office all day long which you're you're probably experiencing a little bit now you know <laughs> with the job change but it's it's i i have a lot of respect for people that sit in an office from eight in the morning until five or six at night, um, That was a big adjustment. I gained some weight pretty quickly. Um, but all of those things, and, and it just seemed like there were so many that just on and on and on. Um, but I, I think the biggest part was not being able to have a quick definitive answer every time you were asked a question or maybe something in the process of, of doing things.
0: Mitch, did you have to reach out to anybody, you know, with some of those questions, who are some of the people on the administrative side that maybe you leaned on a little bit with some of the decisions you're having to make?
1: Well, the, actually the, the president that, that preceded me, um, she had to take an absence for health reasons, but she, she remained in the community. So, and, and she was, uh her name was Bev Turkle and she was a school superintendent for years and years and years and became the, the president of Lincoln Trail College. And she was a female in the administrative world way before. That was a cool thing to, to do. So she had really, she grew up through the school of tough knocks being a female administrator, but she was tough. She was in her mid seventies at the time and she had been through just about everything and uh, I leaned on her daily um and she probably from a mentoring standpoint has had a big as big an impact on me as anyone I've ever been around
0: Derek can you talk about the role that your mom that Amy played in all of this when you're playing for your dad can you talk about her role
2: um yeah she was she was probably our biggest fan um and she was always I know growing up you know he mentioned earlier that he'd get on me pretty good sometimes and she was always kind of the a good cop in that scenario. But, um, when he was coaching, she was just always, you know, our biggest supporter. She went on a lot of road trips. She was at all the home games. Um, so it was, it was always great to see her in the crowd.
0: And Mitch, I said this, I I do feel like you're one of the most underrated coaches that we have, uh, because your teams are always good. They're always competitive. Uh, you get your guys, they win. Um, what are some of your biggest developmental tips, and you've done it year in and year out. You're really consistent. What do you feel like? Not maybe set you apart, but some of your development tips for coaches that are listening in.
1: Well, I, someone asked me the other day what I thought the the toughest piece of this past season being cut short was, and I said, you know, from a from a head coaching position, you you tend to play you know the tough love card once in a while. And basically the way your season breaks out with 56 games you have different points of the season and you try to be kind of a, I always say, you can't be who you want to be. You have to be who you have to be in coaching or you can't be, basically the situation dictates who we are and how we respond to our team. And so I was, you know, we're 14, 15 games deep and you watched this workout down at Elon prior to that series. And up to that point, we had not been very good. So we were going through some kind of that tough love period and I never really had a chance to, to build my team back up. So to say, as the, as the season went on. So I think from the, the standpoint of how you segment a season and where your team's at and the things that you, you have to do to push them forward day after day after day, that's, that's, that's a tough piece in, in our coaching profession. And I think the other thing that I've been very fortunate is to have good people on my staff. I mean, I, I can tell you that after a couple of years, every guy on the staff can run this program. I I could disappear and it, it would keep going. You know, Brian Smiley has done a tremendous job and Jordan Tiggs was was extremely good when he was here. And, you know, we had Ronnie Prettyman for a year. Uh now we have a young man named Brad Vanderglass who's a really bright star in the coaching profession, in my opinion. As well as Pascal Paul, who, who was our pitching coach last year, uh, came to us from Iowa Western, who I think is going to be a phenomenal coach. And you know, I've just had—I've been fortunate to have really good coaches that work extremely hard. And, and I, I don't have to say a lot or direct a lot; they kind of take their area and run it, and I just stay out of the way. And I—I I think for a lot of coaches out there, we tend to—we tend to put our hand or our thumb on the pulse too much, instead of trusting our people to do their job. And I, I think we've been fortunate to get good people, let them go to work. And, and really those guys are in the trenches more than I am day to day. So I, I sure can't take the credit for how consistent our teams have been.
0: Derek, do you have a favorite of the guys that coached with your dad? Do you have a favorite out of all those guys?
2: Um, you know, coach Smiley, I worked a lot with him on, he was our infield coach when I was there. Um, I made, great strides defensively uh, with him. Um, Coach Prettyman liked him a lot. He was, he was also a big infield guy. Uh, we had Coach Steve DeGroat my first couple of years as the the volunteer. Uh, big motivational, inspirational guy. Um, so I, I really enjoyed all those guys. Um, and then we had Coach Teagues for a year. Didn't get to work with him as much individually because he was the pitching guy, but he was always a, a good guy to be around.
0: Mets, tell me your favorite day in the bus driver story. <laughs>
2: Oh goodness!
1: Well, <clears throat> that's a that's well the the best thing, you know. He he had traveled with us and was such a a fan, and you've you've watched the videos. Um, and the the first time, and, and I I really appreciate having so many different pieces that come together to form a team. And and a lot of people, I I don't want to be that guy that's just my personality and and my team and and Dan I would watch him talking to our players and and typically the guys that were going to him were the guys that were not starting the guys that weren't getting as much playing time as they hoped to be getting Um, and he was really doing a great job mentoring those guys and and so I kind of sat back and watched that a while and as time went by, and he's one of the greatest human beings you would ever meet, and, you know, he, he's our bus driver, but he's much more than that. And so finally one day I said, hey, Dan, I said, you know, you, you know most of our guys as well as anybody knows them, and you, you always know what to say. So why don't you just come in the dugout? Why don't you throw on a uniform and just come in the dugout with us? And I'll tell you, when he teared up, he teared up and, and actually jumped right in there. And we've had to we've had to tone him down a few times. He's still learning some of the baseball lingo. You know, he'll say, move him over with two outs <laughs> and second base or maybe something like that. Move him out. <laughs> but uh he's he's what a great person. And and I just, you know, you just want people like that around your players. He he will probably he will probably have as big an impact on some of these young men throughout their life as
0: any of us will. Mitch, do you feel like maybe you know when I was a young assistant, I remember hanging out with with guys like you, Sean Doty, and just sitting and 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 being able to listen. I I think the coaching community is tight, but I don't think we get as much of that anymore. Uh, where maybe opposing coaches are hanging out with each other during a series, and you know, I I think back to being in the Fresno Johnny Quick Classic and. Being able to hang out with you guys because we're all in the same hotel, I, I don't think we get as much of that anymore. What do you feel like are some of the biggest differences now coaching as when you first got into it?
1: I I see that a lot. I I just don't I just don't think there's that camaraderie in coaching like there used to be. Um, you know, it it used to be we'd line up and and go at it and go at it pretty good. You know, we might have even bickered back and forth between the dugouts with you guys at Evansville and us at Indiana state. But at the end of the day, there was still great respect both ways. Um, and and we've lost some of that. I I don't know. I, I still see that in the Valley, um, a little bit. And I still see that, you know, in some places, but I, I just don't think we, we see it as much as we used to. I, I think personally, I think coaches years ago understood a lot more that, um, they were as good as their players. I think we've gotten into an era where I think guys are are reinventing the game, maybe a little smarter than the rest of us with some of this stuff, um, and it's caused uh, that separation. Um, and I and I think it used to be if if you know back in the days of you playing um, when you shook hands and went through that line, it was it was just different. You know, we played at Southern Illinois. Um, few years back. And I was I was in the dugout and the game finished and they said, Coach, there's there's someone that wants to talk to you a minute. So I go to the end of the dugout and it was Joe Hall. You remember Joe Hall? Yes. And I had not seen Joe Hall since we competed against one another in the mid mid to late 80s. But he remembered us And we were we remembered one another. But I think it was that camaraderie, Brian, in my opinion, that led a lot of guys to the coaching profession and it remained there. So to me, the camaraderie is being dropped uh, at the player level, not so much the coach level Mm -hmm. anymore. And I just don't think we foster that as much as we as we should. Um, So that's maintained through the years as guys become coaches and then move on in the profession.
0: Derek, what do you feel like? What growing up, uh, having to sit and watch as many baseball games as you did, helped you as a player when you got to college.
2: Um, I think the the biggest thing, obviously, got to when I was real young, got to be around the guys at Indiana State, and then when I was a little older, got to be around the guys at Lincoln Trail, and not only just getting to sit there and watch those games, but um, kind of pick those guys' brains and, and learn a lot from them. Um, that was a huge advantage that I feel like most people who who aren't coaches, kids don't get. Um, So that was, that was big for me.
1: One thing I would say is we we did not, because baseball was kind of the area that I came from. So to say there was less emphasis probably on baseball in the home than maybe basketball and and some other sports, Um, you know, just because of that, you try to slant away. I, I gave some baseball pointers to Derek or, Caleb in the home, but most of it was about competing and I, I were, I was probably harder on them than the other sports than, than actually baseball.
0: And back to the Cape League question, Mitch, talk about your Cape League experience. Cause I don't think a lot of people know, you know, probably haven't paid attention to how good a player you actually were and a two sport athlete at at Indiana state. Talk about your Cape League experience.
1: Well, it was back, it was, man, right. That was a long time ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but but just mention some of the guys you played with.
1: Well, it was that that summer in the Cape was actually one of the huge summers in terms of the, the players that ran through there that ended up becoming big leggers. Um and you know, just on our team at Yarmouth Dennis, we had Eric Wedge, um, Mike Mordecai, Benny Nagel. And then at the end of the year, they put together an all-star team. that went down to Boardwalk and Baseball, and you know I recited i recited that team a lot. But you had Wedge and I think Jesse Levis were the catchers. Um, Jeff Bagwell played third. Chuck Nabla was short. They put me at second. I got the I got the compassion vote that year at second. And then I we also had Mo Vaughn, Tim Salmon. Um, Frank Thomas was in the Cape that summer. Um, I mean, just so many guys. Jeff Kent was in the Cape that summer. I mean, I when I see a list, F.P. Santangelo. I mean, you can go on and on and on the number of big leaguers that were in the Cape that summer. It's just amazing. And supposedly that that's the summer that kind of began to put the Cape on the map. Uh, but the way the Cape is set up today, I probably would not have have had an opportunity to go out there because I I went out there between my junior and senior year. I did as well, which is really unheard of now. I mean, it's really uh, a lot of younger guys, and I and I think that you know most of the guys that go out there now obviously have a career in professional baseball, and it's it's much tougher to get into the Cape than it was when when I went out there.
0: Derek and Mitch, what would you guys like to see out of youth baseball right now?
2: I'll let you take that one to start.
1: <laughs> you know, it's 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 been a while. I mean, it's been going on for a while, Ryan. I when our youngest son see we we've had two rounds here. Um, Derek's twenty eight, and Caleb's eighteen. They're ten years apart, and we have a daughter, Kylie, that's right in the middle of them. Um, but when I started coaching, I started coaching youth basketball years ago. In Robinson, Illinois. I think the Derek's group was fifth graders. We I only took the job because we had Myers Leonard, who's an NBA center right now. So I figured with a tall guy, how can you lose? So we I started coaching and I had all these ideas of how I was gonna do this and we're gonna we're gonna run Bob Knight's motion offense with some Princeton principles, the backdoor cuts and the, the different things. Boy, we had an elaborate offense set up, Brian. <laughs> maybe the maybe the best in the country. At 50 and we went out and just got shellacked we couldn't get into an offense we couldn't even get the damn ball to half court so you know 10 years later I'm coaching Caleb's group his fourth or fifth grade and I completely I said listen guys here are my here are my, my rules first of all at the end of this game if we don't have more team fouls than the other team I'm going to run you after the game That's, we're just basically going to, and, and I also said, I'm going to buy a Gatorade for whoever makes the best pass in every game. And that's, and that group was the most aggressive get after it. We're coming at you. Fun group to coach that you could imagine. And I, and I think I, I lead in with that because then I go to youth baseball. And when Caleb was still playing little league, there was a 20 minute argument over something in the rule book and the kids on the field couldn't play catch. And I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong with this picture? And so we have completely abandoned the idea that you, you have to develop fundamentals if you want to play at a particular level and they have to be ingrained in you at a young age and they have to carry with you on and on and on. And I think so many youth leagues have gotten away from that because they think if you play against, player A who's better than player C, then player C is gonna get better just by playing against player A every day. And there there probably is a little truth to that because player C is going to at least learn what he can and can't do, right? But at the end of the day, if player C never develops the fundamentals necessary, he will never get on the same field as, as player A. And then the, the other piece to me is the sheer tentativeness that I see and young people and I see it in some of the guys coming to me today, you know, this, this world of athletics, it's not meant to be played perfect. And for the kids that continue to try to be perfect and continue to try to point at the failures, uh, they become tentative and, and not aggressive enough to play at a high level. And so for me, at the end of the day, here we sit in Division I baseball and we want players rooted in fundamentals who are highly aggressive and competitive, but yet everything we're doing at the lower levels is mm-hmm. against that trend. Uh, that's what bothers me with, with youth sports in general today.
0: And Mitch, how are you taking that then? Because you understand that on the youth side and guys aren't getting that. How are you that take taking that into your practice setting then with your Indiana state guys?
1: Well, we, we really spend a ton of time developing fundamentals. And I and I will tell you that, you know, Derek mentioned coach Smiley uh, and coach Vanderglass and, and the things that those guys are doing with our guys, they would be really boring to most coaches because they are rooted in fundamentals and it's just day after day after day after day. And so my guys are having to start from square one with some of these guys to get them to the point that they, A, have the fundamentals necessary to to move forward. But the problem for most of these guys when they come in is the speed of the game, you know, and, and you know that, and Derek knows that, you guys know that from playing the, the speed picks up. And so if the fundamentals aren't there, you're in, you're in deep trouble. And so what my guys end up having to do is kind of walk these guys along for several weeks before they can really turn the speed of the game up on these guys whether they're throwing top spin ground balls out of machines or whatever they might be doing. Uh, so we have to move at a slower pace. And, and the other thing that we have to get past, because almost all of the young people today, in many cases, there are two extremes. One, the parents have been too hard on them and, and constantly pointed out the things that they didn't do correctly. And B, their parents blew too much smoke up the rear ends. And and really understanding both extremes and, and doing what you need to do to bring both those groups to the middle, to me, is the important piece of coaching today.
0: Derek, do you have a favorite memory of, of playing for your dad?
2: Um, I would say the first weekend, um, we went down and played, and I think it was a Snowbird Classic in Florida. Um, we played Auburn right out of the gate and, and got beat. It was a close game, maybe three to one, four to two, something like that. But then um, we turned around and beat Yukon, and then we got to play Ohio State twice um, right after I transferred from there and we beat them both games um, and then that was a, a great weekend, obviously, um, and then from there on, we just kind of kept that rolling. Um, we had a great 2014 we' a two seed at the IU regional at large birth um, so it's that excuse me, that weekend to begin with, but kind of that whole season was just was just a great memory.
0: Bradley was one of my final five schools and it always seemed like I had good weekends against them for whatever reason. And coach Calmer would always mention that to my dad, but it's funny how you have a little extra incentive against certain teams uh, that, that allows your performance. If you're competitive, that allows your performance to pick up. If, you know, if you do have some competitiveness, it's going to help, you know, Derek, what about you on the youth side? You know, you, you just got done playing. So, what are some tips, maybe for you, with with kids that are coming up right now, to help them?
2: Um, when I first graduated from ISU, I w- moved back to Robinson, um, and I worked with a lot of young kids. I helped coach at the high school. Um, I'm currently helping at a high school over here called Northview High School in, in Brazil, Indiana. Um, but I've talked with several parents that are they're taking their third and fourth graders, and they're they're playing travel ball spending a lot of money on, on hotels and uniforms and all this stuff. And and I've kind of told them I feel like at that age, their, their time and money would be best served if they just take them out to the park and, and work on ground balls, um, work on some different hitting drills, things like that. Um, and then it kind of goes up to the high school level. I see a lot of kids that they only put time in um, when it's, it's an official baseball workout. Um, and a lot of them are um, specializing in sports. We see I've, a lot of kids only play baseball, um, and, and I don't really agree with that. So I think just the mix of the, the travel ball at such a young age and specialization right now is, is kind of what, what bothers me with, with youth, base, youth baseball and esports. sports.
0: I got my dad in trouble one year. You know, you go through the youth camp. I'd go to the UE camp, and then you get to a certain point where you're too old to go to the camp anymore. So you then you start working. And, then, Derek, I don't know if you helped with your dad in, in the camp setting. and. Uh, I think that's like your initial part of coaching, but we would have to fill out camp evaluations for kids. And I was coaching the young ones, like six year old. And um, one of the parents was just all over their son. And this is back in the eighties. The and I wrote on the eval, I'm like, your dad's too hard on you and I probably shouldn't have put it, but I was speaking my mind. Well, the, the dad calls my dad and I hear, you know, in the house, my dad's talking to this parent and my dad starts talking about the, the movie fear strikes out. And just to hear my dad talk about that side of it from a parent's side. Um, and for anybody that hasn't read or, or watched the movie fear strikes out, it's a great movie on on just parents and um jimmy pierce is the the story that it's about but that you know that was kind of my first experience with uh you know maybe dealing with parents that that you see and that that happened a long time ago so i think we've we've kind of been there it's getting to a different place but um i think we all we all feel like we need to go back a little bit uh just from kids being able to work on their own as well
1: just just thinking about just hashing over a couple of things, I do want to go back, yep, uh, love of family, you know Derek takes uh helps out at Northview, which is the rival of Caleb's high school team. How about that Brotherly <laughs> love uh that was going to be an interesting game. We didn't get to see it this year, but it was going to be an interesting rivalry, but you know for me, just just sitting back and thinking, you know a lot of sometimes a lot of parents. We'll listen to some of this stuff and tune coaches out because we we are maybe critical of of some of that. But um, just like your dad was talking, we as parents, it, it's it's tough. It's tough to sit back in the crowd and and turn your kids loose and and accept what comes to them because all of a sudden, for the first time, you're sitting there without any control over the the situation. And I think too many of us it takes us too long to, to trust that they're going to put the time in, they're going to do the things they do to, to be successful. And I think for a lot of parents out there, everybody wants their son or daughter to be the point guard, but do you want them shooting the free throws of three seconds to go and your team's down a point? I mean, it, it, it's the, it's the tough moments that are going to come up that we prepare them for. It's not just getting them a, a scholarship or getting them an opportunity you know, our job as parents are to prepare our, our children for the tough points in life that they may encounter so that when they do encounter those, they're ready. They've been waiting for this moment. They can handle this moment. And I think for me, that's that's the tough thing of what we're in. And you, you asked about Indiana State earlier. I love coaching at Indiana State. I know you do. Just like <clears throat> watching your dad at, at Evansville and watching Dewey Calmer. You know, I didn't get any hits off Bradley. You said you did well, but I couldn't hit Bradley to save my life. Do we had all those pitchers, but Gene Stevenson and Bob Warren and and Itchy Jones and Duffy Bass and you know you go on and on and on at, at watching all these guys prepared their their people for the tough times and and the Jim Brownleys of the world. They're they're not man, as many of those guys out there. And and for me, I'm at a place where I still get to do that. We're not in the fast lane of man, we've got to win 40 games or I'm probably going to lose my job. You know, here we get a focus on developing young people for those, those situations and working with them every day and getting past, you know, the baseball player and getting to know the person. And, and I think parents need to understand moving forward. If you want your son to play Division I baseball, then, then get them ready. Don't worry so much about the physical. If the physical is there. They're probably going to get an opportunity. Prepare the mental side. Um, create some tough situations, get them in some tough environments, but they're going to need that because at at this level, I don't care how good you are. You get bruised once in a while mentally, and you've got to be able to respond and you've got to be able to get past it. And that's what bothers me as much as anything moving forward. And and Ryan, you see the transfer portal. We all see the transfer portal. We see how many young people are, are in and out, but you know, that in and out sometimes comes with a deep bruise and it's tough to get back on your feet and, and keep moving. So that's all the way back to youth sports. I I just think we've, we've got to begin to prepare our young people um, for those things in life that, that are difficult in then sports becomes pretty easy.
0: Derek, what tips are you giving Caleb? You went through it. Um, So what tips are you going to give, are you giving him as far as how to handle college as a baseball player?
1: Um,
2: You know, just to get in there, um, stay quiet as a freshman, you know, you don't want to go in there and, and, be big-headed. I've seen that a lot. Uh, get in there and get to work. Learn from, from the upperclassmen. Um, show up every day. Um, just be ready to compete. And I know it's going to be especially hard for, for him because a lot of those seniors that were, were supposed to be gone are back. So he's having to deal with with you know four classes above him as opposed to the typical three. So he's really going to have to get in and work his butt off and, and just, like I said, compete every day.
0: And Mitch, I, lo- I love that you touched on you know, a lot of his decision had to do with their engineering program. And I think that's where we're seeing the disconnect with the the recruiting side of it, with the transfer portal, because kids aren't looking at the education piece enough and how they're going to fit in in a campus setting with the education piece of it. And I think if more people would just look at that side of it, where I fit in socially and academically, and then figure the baseball side of it out because you're all going to go through tough times as a baseball player. And you're, you know, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. Junior college level, it doesn't matter all levels of college, you're going to struggle a little bit. So the, the social and the academic piece makes it a little bit easier to get through those tougher times on the baseball field.
1: I, I totally agree. I was the same way though, Ryan. I mean, I, I was the same parent. By gosh, I didn't play in the big legs, so my kids are gonna play in the big legs. So I'm I went to work and um it it took some time for me to get slapped upside the head and understand. You know, one of the toughest conversations I've had with any player was with Derek. Uh going into Derek's last year here at Indiana State. I we were sitting down one day and I said, Listen, Derek. You're not a professional baseball player. And, and I hate to be the guy that, to break that to you. So enjoy this last year of school, um, but you are not gonna get an opportunity to play professional baseball. Um, and I don't want you to, to have any misconceptions about that. So really embrace your last year of college. And Derek, you probably remember that conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was something he wanted to hear, but I thought it was something he needed to hear. And then as time has gone by, you know, even now Caleb moving forward, I'm, I'm looking out at age 24, 25, right, Ryan. And and where's he going to be? What's he going to be doing then? And uh, I I really feel, and and what brought me to that point was just seeing the number of guys that came through that were 23 years old, and now their baseball career is over. And that's been their identity their entire life. And what am I going to do? And that's, that's a hard place to be.
0: Mitch, and I felt like – I thought about this for a long time when I was coaching. I think the 23 to 28 age range for ex-college athletes, that's on the male – and I would see it on the male and the female side. For both, I think we need to have some sort of a foundation set up to be able to help that transition – Uh, And Derek, you could talk about that a little bit too, just the transition from being done, but also that conversation that your dad had with you. And my dad had some tough conversations with me as well. Um, I just think the 23 to 28 range is really tough for the ex-college athlete because you don't have anybody telling you what to do now and you have so much free time on your hands. So how do you fill all of that? Because sometimes it's not productive what they're filling their time with. Uh, Derek, just talk about that a little bit as well.
2: Yeah, it was it was definitely tough when you you finish up baseball. You've been been doing it since you were five years old, and you're not sure sure what to do next. And I even had a tough time finding a job right out of college because um, I did the insurance and risk management program at, at ISU, and a lot of my classmates went and did internships during the summer, which is an opportunity I never got because I was out playing summer ball. Um, so they'd go and work for whoever they interned with. So I spent days after our seasons after our season ended, actually weeks. Um submitting resumes, doing interviews, all kinds of things and uh, finally landed a job but yeah it was it was definitely different, definitely tough to try to figure out what to do so I tried to stay involved with baseball um on on the coaching side of things and um, it's been it's been good ever since
0: what are you taking into some of the things that your dad taught you now with the the teams that you're coaching
2: um i I mainly deal a lot with with infielders some hitting but with infielders, I really try to preach, um, especially with the high school kids, they're, they're developed enough to where you're not going to change their fundamentals a whole lot at their age. Um, I really just preach aggressiveness and coming to get the ball, not being afraid to make a mistake. Um, just, just that type of mentality as opposed to, to how to do this, how to do that. Um, and I think kids need, need more of that. I think they have a lot of different coaches, whether it's their dad or little league coach, that are, are trying to teach them these fundamentals. But I feel like they don't get a whole lot of the, the mentality and, and aggressive, aggressiveness piece of the game that they need.
0: What are some of the routines that you're having them work through to try to help them become more aggressive?
2: Um, well, with, with infielders, we start with, with just some we, – we call it trade drill at Indiana State where you, you get on two knees and you put one hand behind your back and work on going out and, and getting that short hop. Um, we do a lot of slow roller work. Um, we do, we do drills where I hit regular ground balls at them and have them come field it on the run as hard as they can and then set their feet to throw just so they can kind of feel that initial burst to come get the ball. Um, so yeah, just, just ways to kind of train them to attack the ball and then, and then figure out what hop they want at that point and, and not let it come to them and get eaten up. So just, just ways to preach that.
0: Mitch, what are some of the. Things that you do now that are the same that you used to do, and what are some of the things that you do different from a drill standpoint?
1: Gosh, Ryan, um, I, I don't think a lot of the drills have changed. I, I think, obviously, talking about the Trade drill and some of the other things, I, I think uh, Latin America changed the way the infield is played. They, they for years we we played the right left and volunteer stomach and all that stuff. And I don't think we're a long way off of that, but they were more aggressive with their glove at, at catching that, that in between hop and doing some things. So I, I think some of that has changed, but a lot of the, a lot of the other stuff has remained the same. The only thing that we've done is spruce them up a little bit to make them look sexier to our players, you know, uh, so that we can sell it or maybe find some video of a big leaguer doing the same drill. So they see that this is not a, it's not like hitting off a tee all day. So we've had, we've had to do some of that, but I think the the piece that we've begun to emphasize more, and, you know, I've been sitting here for weeks trying to think of ways I can improve some things this year. And one of the things that I keep coming back to over and over and over, especially watching the Tom Brady move to Tampa Bay and, you know, there's, there's a guy who's, who's made a living at knowing what the situation uh, is going to to need in terms of the the play and the play call and reading the, the moment before it happens. And I feel like we've gotten away in athletics of understanding what happens next is going to dictate all of our careers. And the better that you get at predicting what's about to happen, the better player you're going to be. And so we quit being so reactive and we've become much more aggressive uh, And because I'm trying to, to fill that aggressive slot a little bit more, just like Derek's talking. I want my guys more aggressive and more aggressive. But if, if you can't predict the future, it's really hard to be aggressive sometimes.
0: Mitch, do you think that goes into part of because kids don't watch enough games, whatever sport they're playing, they don't sit and watch anymore?
1: Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, I think it's it's two things for the younger kids. I think we we become so age specific. You know, some of the best lessons I learned as a high school basketball player were open gyms against the old guys. Exactly. Um, and you learned how to play the game just by them schooling you, so to say. And and now we've got eight year olds by eight year olds and nine year olds and ten year So so you never face that twelve year old on the mound and Little leg as a nine year old, you know, or ten year old getting your lunch handed to you a little bit. So we've all we've all seen that a, a little bit as well.
0: I was playing against guys in our backyard that were eight years older than me. Brad Brownell, who's the coach at Clemson for basketball, he was a family friend and he's two years older, two, three years older than my brother. So I'm in the backyard trying to to make it work against guys that were way older than me and, and talk about having to grow up, man. I love telling this story about Brad, we'd be in the basement and I'd start crying and Brad would throw a pillow over my face (laughs) because they didn't want the parents to come down. But, you know, looking back now, it's hilarious at the time, probably not great, but like, it's one of those things that you had to grow up and, um, you know, you don't see as much of that anymore now.
1: No. And, and I think, as you as you watch a football game, right as a as a fan, you sit there, you have a pretty good idea what the next play call is going to be, or you have an idea with, in basketball whether it's guys going right or left, or you know based on tendency and all of that. But I just don't think we we watch and pay attention. I, I think some kids watch, but I don't know if they really pay attention to what's going on.
0: And guys, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It means the world to me. So I wish you guys the best. So thank you.
1: I'm only doing it because of Tim.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> he was he was excited. Uh, you know, when I told him that you finally said yes, he was so excited that you were coming on. And, um, you know, I've always appreciated, one, how consistent you've been over the, your career with the amount of wins But just how unassuming you are, and you don't give yourself enough credit for how great of a coach you are, Uh, but hopefully I can speak to that because you are an unbelievable baseball coach.
1: Well, I I appreciate that, you know, that just like the the old guys that went through the Valley for years. I I don't think a lot of those guys are given a whole heck of a lot of credit, but they, they sure developed one heck of a league.
0: Baseball truly is America's pastime. We are all stewards of this great game. I'm so excited to shine a light on these unique perspectives. All of these guests show their passion and love for each other and the great game of baseball. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening to Father and Son, and remember to leave it better for those behind you.